0: Please remain standing. Take your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Jude, right before the very last book of the Bible is Revelation. The book before Revelation is Jude, and it's just one chapter long. We've been on Sunday nights going through the book of Jude and uh, trying to find out what God would have us learn. Jude, tonight we're going to begin by reading just one verse, verse number 8. So, Jude, verse 8. And we'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll try to find the mind of God on this. Jude, verse number 8, we can read that together, reading that out loud. Verse 8, likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for each one that's here. Again, as always, we pray, administer to the hearts of those that are not able to come Lord, how grateful we are that these could. And I prayed help us tonight as we continue through this one chapter book. Really, it's all a warning. It's a warning of what's going to happen in churches just before Jesus comes back. And Lord, we're seeing some of these things in churches across our country and other countries. I prayed help us. May we take this warning to heart tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I've said this before, that the book of Jude was not the second last book that was written. But the book of Jude, God chose to put it in our Bible in the second last position. Preacher, why is that? Well, the very last book is the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation tells us about the Lord coming back. The book of Jude tells us what's going to happen in local churches just before the Lord comes back. And so Jude is talking about an apostasy. Jude is talking about a turning away from the faith. Paul said that. Peter said that. James wrote of that. So it's not just Jude, but again, the location of this book being the second last book And Jude not only warns us of a great turning away, but Jude warns us how it will happen. He said there will be churches in the last days who are going to change what they have been doing for so long. And Jude says they're not going to change because of outside pressure. They're not going to change because the government is pushing them to do that. They're not going to change because public sentiment has changed. He said they're going to change because there are certain ones who creep into that church. And he used the word creep. Look there in verse number four. Jude says, for there are certain men crept in unawares; They weren't aware of it. The rest of the church didn't know what was happening. Incidentally, This was going on when Jude wrote it in the first century. But it is foreshadowing what's going to happen before the Lord turns back. So if I could take that word and uh, simply say this, creeps will make their way into a church. And uh, the rest of the church won't know it. But their agenda is to change what that church has stood for for so long and jude's advice jude's warning look back there in verse number three three sorry beloved when i gave all diligence tried unto you of the common salvation it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints and so he said, "When it happens, when this happens, not if, when." He said, "You have to contend to keep that old-fashioned faith." And uh, he, he said, "Jude goes on to say, God will judge these people, but you don't want to be a casualty before God judges them." I think Jude anticipated a pushback. Oh, Jude! Surely God's not going to judge christians god's not going to judge believers and that's what we looked at verse five six and seven jude reached back into the old testament and he find found three different accounts of blessed people god's people who knew the touch of god and the blessing of god on their lives who did turn their backs on god they did follow another leader and god judged them the first of the three verse five is a nation of israel god delivered them in fact he used the word saved god saved them from their bondage in egypt and yet how many of them never entered that promised land 40 years later because of bad choices he's saying don't you make those bad choices second example is verse number six the angels that were up in heaven he said those angels enjoyed the presence of God how could it get any better than seeing God and yet we know that there was one named Lucifer among them wasn't satisfied with the way that heaven was set up and Lucifer tried to get other angels to follow his agenda And the Bible says there in verse number six, God judged those angels who once knew the blessing of God. Uh, The third example that Jude used, we looked in last week, was Sodom and Gomorrah. And I said to you that whenever I hear those names of those two cities, immediately there is a turning of the stomach because of the wicked lifestyle that's associated with Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet, it wasn't always like that. In fact, when Abraham and Lot parted ways, Genesis 13, Abraham said to Lot, you pick one way, I'll go the other. You pick that way, I'll go that. And and Lot systematically looked that direction, that direction, that direction, that direction. And he said, that's the best. That would be the very best place to live. It is the, it's, it's, in fact, it says there in verse number seven, it, uh, it, sorry, it says it back in Genesis. It says it's the well-watered plains of Jordan like the Garden of God. That's the Garden of Eden. I'm saying to you, Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't always cities that were given over to that sin. One time they enjoyed the blessings of God, and yet, They made choices, and God judged them for it. Having said that, this evening we're in verse number 8. Let's look at it again. Likewise, also these. Preacher, who's these? That word these refers back to the creeps of verse 4. So he said there are creeps that are going to try to get in and change the church, and he gave examples from the past, verse five, six, seven. 6, God how God judged similar cases. But then he shifts, uh, shifts back to these. That's these creeps. So in verse 5 and verse 6 and verse 7, we were told the agenda of the creeps. Pastor, couldn't you pick a better word than creeps? It's God's word. God always picks the right word. So in verse 5, 6, and 7, we learned of the agenda of the creeps. What their interest is in doing, and that is turning people away from God. Do you know what we learned in verse 8? And all we'll have time tonight is verse number 8. We learn of the characteristics of creeps. What's really going on inside there. You say, preacher, why is it important that I know the characteristic of these that would turn the church a different direction? Because creeps don't wear a sign that says, I'm a creep. Let me follow that. You're with me so far. Creeps don't have a tattoo on their forehead that says, my intention here is to turn this church. Creeps don't announce what they're planning to do. So Jude, knowing that creeps would try to creep into every church and change it, but that they wouldn't openly advertise what they're planning to do. Jude in verse 8 gives us three characteristics of these who creep in. And so if you are taking notes tonight, my title is The Characteristics of Creeps in the Church. Pastor, every time you say that, you look at me. No, I don't. Not every time. (laughs) The characteristic of creeps in the church. So how are we going to recognize these that have an agenda to change the church? How are we going to be able to recognize them? And uh, I won't give you the full points here, but Jude gives us three D's. I I like that. It's alliterated. I don't have to make it up. He gives three D's. And it's by these three Ds that you'll be able to identify them. One of the Ds is their dreams. And one of the Ds is what they despise. And the last of these Ds is what they have to say about dignity. So we're going to look at that. Look there again, we're looking at the characteristic of creeps in the church. Look there in Jude, uh, verse number 8. It starts with likewise also these filthy dreamers. If you're taking notes, very first characteristic of creeps in the church is what they dream about. It's what they dream about. They're they're dreamers. Now, without a doubt, God has used dreams to direct people in the Bible. And so we can't be openly, uh, um, we can't make an open statement that if they're dreamers, it's wrong, because God has used dreams in the Bible. I know that uh, when we read there, Genesis 28, Jacob is fleeing from his brother Esau. And that night, he makes uh, a stone into a pillow. And that night, he dreams of a ladder that reached to heaven. And angels were ascending and descending on there. And God used that dream to direct Jacob. God does use dreams. I, I think of there in Genesis 37. We know that Joseph, when he was just a young man, he had dreams. And uh, he, he dreamt that the, uh, the moon and the stars all bow down to him. Uh, we know that he had a dream that uh, each of his brothers were, were stalks, uh, if you would, and, and they bowed down. God gave Joseph some dreams, and I think God did that to give Joseph confidence later when he was imprisoned, that God still had plans for him. I'm saying God has used dreams. When we get there to Genesis chapter 40, we know that when Joseph was in prison in Egypt, the the butler and the baker each had a dream. How many kind of remember sort of? And God used those dreams in order to elevate that man, Joseph, to second in command. Gideon was called of God to deliver Israel from the Midianites. Those Midianites had oppressed Israel for seven years. God called Gideon to deliver them. And Gideon was just struggling with his calling. God used dreams to convince Gideon that he was God's choice. I'm saying God, as in the Bible, used dreams. I think of Daniel, uh, in the book of Daniel, chapter 1 and 2 and 4 and 5, uh, there were a number of people that had dreams, most times kings kings had dreams, and if you remember that great image, we still today look back on that dream of that image because it gave us a picture of the nations and the world leaders that would rule in history. God uses dreams. Uh, When Joseph was married to Mary, and when Mary gave birth to Jesus Christ, It was by way of a dream that God told Joseph, take your family and get out of here. You are at risk. Shortly after, God used another dream to tell Joseph it was safe to go back. I'm saying to you that through the scriptures, God has used dreams. Now, we need to be careful about people that dream now because the Bible is now complete and the Bible is is now a finished book. So be careful about somebody that tells you that God gave them a dream. When When, when somebody says that in their bedroom they saw a 900-foot Jesus, quite a tall bedroom, no doubt you had, but when they begin to say that Jesus showed up and told them, If they don't raise $8 million to build their hospital, that God would, and they got it through a dream, you need to step back with people now that we have a completed Bible that want to convince you something because of a dream that they had. So I'm saying to you that uh, the first characteristic uh, about these creeps, it says there in verse number eight, it says they're dreamers. And, uh, you know, these people that creep into a church, they they dreamed up. But, folks, could I remind you that a dream isn't reality. You could have a dream that you're the strongest man in the world. It's not reality. Someone's probably got you beat. You could dream that you're the best golfer. For some of us, that'd be a nightmare, but you're the best. Do you know that dreams aren't reality? And you need to be careful because he says the first identifier of these who would try to turn a church is their dreamers. Well, a dream isn't reality. I'm saying to you, some that would uh, try to turn the church a different direction, they imagine that the church is going to be something that God never determined a church to be. Folks, a church is, the purpose of a church is to win the lost. The purpose of a church, once they have been won to Christ, is to disciple them to live more like Jesus Christ. The purpose of a church is to help a Christian be more faithful in church and be more faithful reading their Bible and be more faithful at prayer. That is the purpose of a church. You know what Jude says? You're going to have some dreamers who have dreams for the church, but they are far removed from the reality of what God determined the church to be. And so if, if I could say this, there will be those who imagine that the church be lighter on evangelism and heavier on entertainment. That's a dream that they have. Uh, They will imagine a church be lighter on convictions and heavier on comforts. They will dream that a church would be looser on standards and give much more say to people about what they would like it to be. They imagine that a church doesn't push God's way and instead provides everyone to vote about their way. They imagine this is their dream. Their dream for their church is far removed from what God wants a church to be. Listen, when somebody comes along and says, there's too much preaching going on here, we need to have less preaching. Do you know what? God's plan for a church is preaching. The Bible says by the foolishness of preaching, not foolish preaching, but by the foolishness of preaching, God has chosen to save some. And, and so when someone comes along and says, you know what, I'm, I, I'm really hoping that our church, that's a dream, but it's a dream to turn the church. Uh, when someone comes along and say, you know what, uh, I, I'm looking to the day where we no longer have altar calls, but that's a dream that's contrary to the word of God and to the will of God. I'm looking for a day when we're not pushed so hard to read our Bible. I'm looking for a day when we're no longer pressed to take, this, uh, take the gospel out to sinners. is saying here the very first identifier in this bidding is, uh, is their dreamers but they're wanting something in the church that God never designed a church to be. Not only does it say that they are dreamers, but I want you to notice the word before dreamers. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers. Now, I'm going to be careful with what I say, but not so careful that you miss it. Folks, there are some people that are so connected at the hip to the world that everything that the world pushes down the tube, that's a television. They take it in. They embrace it. Folks, this world is pushing filthy. This world is pushing ungodly. This world is pushing unfaithfulness between a husband and wife this world is pushing pornography this world is pushing infidelity this world is pushing all of those things and if you are plugged into this world this world will soil your mind and this world will tarnish your thoughts And this world will destroy your testimony. You can't be listening to this world 24-7 without it changing what you believe is right because the Bible says it, and what you believe is wrong because the Bible says it. That's filthy dreamers. And so an old-fashioned church that's looking for modesty, those in a church that are just constantly exposed to this filthy world, they dream of a church that doesn't hold such high standards. They are dreaming of the day when the church will allow any kind of music on the platform. They dream of a church that uh, is uh, allowing anybody to teach class that's allowing anybody to say what they want, when they want, how they want, where they want. They are not being driven just by a dream which is not reality most of the times. They're being driven by a filthy dream. And I can't say it enough, You, you, you can't watch TV all day, all night, all week, all month, all year without it making that mind filthy. You can't surf the internet 24-7 without seeing a lot of junk before you get to that one thing that you're trying to find. And I'm saying to you, look what it says there in that verse 8, likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh. And if, if, if this world has its way, it'll take a virtuous young woman and it'll defile her mind and eventually defile her flesh. Listen, folks, when, when, when you walk in here, well, let's not pick on you, let's pick on somebody else. When someone walks in here and they want to tell you about all the Hollywood movies that they watched all week long, And they want you to accept it. That's a filthy dreamer that would like to defile your flesh and would like to defile this church. That's the kind of person that Jude says you need to stand up against. When someone talks about what they saw in a magazine, And it's a filthy picture that they saw. That's the one that you need to stand up against. They are looking for acceptance on those things in a church. But a church is to be holy. And a church is to encourage righteousness. And God forbid that any of us all week long are looking at those things and watching those things. But when those who, their minds have been defiled by what they have looked at, when those very people want to bring that into the church, I'm saying somebody has to stand up and say, stop right there. That's not welcome in the house of God. Say, preacher, what are the characteristics of creeps in the church? And the first characteristic is what they dream about. What they dream about, uh, is it unreal and is it unholy? Do you know if you have a steady diet of this world, it's language, it's music, it's entertainment, it's fashion, you can't have a steady diet and stay clean. You can't live on TV and Hollywood movies night after night and somehow keep your mind clean. You can't surf the internet hour after hour, stopping to view everything that catches your eye and keep your heart clean. You can't continually browse the pages of Facebook. Would you let me stop? I, I'm about to say something I don't even want what say. am saying. I don't have Facebook. I don't look at Facebook. But Facebook is everybody trying to portray their life as the very best life that you could have. So they post pictures of themselves that no one should see. They post pictures of their friends that no one should see. A righteous Christian ought to say, I can't look at that. So if you are on Facebook 24-7 looking at all the things that other people dream about themselves, and imagine that they are, they're not, it's unreal. And it's filthy. That mind of yours won't stay filthy. But the more, that you, the more that you expose yourself to that, you're going to be offended at an old-fashioned church. You're going to take issue with an old-fashioned preacher. And it's going to bother you. I'm saying to you, the very first characteristic of these creeps that want to change the church is what they dream about Buster what is your dream for your church is it more god or less god is it more preaching or less preaching is it more bible or less bible is it more let's reach sinners or less Let, uh, let's reach sinners is it is it more need to humble myself before god because i'm a sinner Or is it less need for this humbling yourself? What is your dream? These that would change a church, they are dreamers, but what they dream about is less God and less good and less expectations and less morality. If you're going to live holy lives and want holy churches, you're going to have to get a million miles away from the filth of the world. Listen to this verse. Second Corinthians seven one. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. And we understand getting away from the filth of flesh. But you know that your flesh, you can have that thing in order, to where you're only doing what's right and not doing what's wrong. But your spirit can be totally foul. When I use spirit in that context, I'm talking about attitude. Folks, the Pharisees in the flesh were holy. But in their spirit, they were filthy. Do you know, the Bible makes it clear if we're going to avoid filthy lives and keep from filthy churches, it's going to take more Bible, not less. Wherefore, laying apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. I'm saying the very first mark is what they dream about. Jude says it's their dreams that indicate their direction. Could I give you a number of examples of how filthy dreamers are going to try to hurt you? A man opens a small business intending to make a good living and still be a good Christian. And he begins to hire some people to work in his business, even some Christian workers. But he is shocked by their language, shocked by their conversation and he tells his wife how stunned he is by the fact that they drink and they cuss and they have carnal attitudes. But in time, they begin to wear on his mind. So he seems, uh, sees them as a really nice bunch of guys. They're not nice at all. They're filthy. And you might, because of your job, have to work beside them. But it's what you do after the hours of your job. If you then still chum up with filthy co-workers, it's going to destroy you. And so a man, he, his attitude changes. And soon he's joining them after work for a few drinks with them. And he's laughing at their dirty stories. He's less critical of those men that are cheating on their wife from time to time. But you know, as his mind is being soiled by filthy dreamers, he gets offended at his preacher who's <laughs> always preaching on holiness and holy living and holy thinking to the point where he decides, you know, I'd I, I better go to another church. Why? You liked this church a year ago. Why is it that you're looking for another church? Well, I couldn't invite my closest friends to a church like this because if they heard what the pastor preached against, those weren't your closest friends a year ago. And you liked holy preaching a year ago. Folks, that's what that's what the influence of filthy dreamers can do to a good Christian. I give you another example. A young man from a Christian home. He's been raised to, to believe that drinking is wrong and smoking is wrong and dirty movies watching is wrong. And he graduates from Christian school and he heads off to college. He's determined in college he's going to be true to his faith, witness for Christ. But what he didn't count on was a dormitory that's filled with filthy people who are going to push their lifestyle. He tries to say something for Christ, and they make fun of him. And every time he tries to open up his Bible and read it, if he was opening up a pornographic magazine and looking through it, they'd cheer him on and say, let me see what you're looking at. But when he opens up a Bible, they make fun of him. To the point where he doesn't, doesn't open up his Bible. To the point where he doesn't talk about Jesus anymore. Listen, they don't, they don't care if he becomes an electrician. They don't care if he becomes a neurosurgeon. They don't care if he becomes a doctor or a lawyer. As long as they can make him filthy like they're filthy. They're content. And it's not long before he doesn't have a testimony at all. Let's pick on a young lady. young lady grows up in church. She's faithful in church, has a ministry, participates in much, sings, plays an instrument. And she marries a young man who wants to serve the Lord. But he can't support her with his part-time job. So his wife goes off to work. But at her worldly job, she's surrounded by other women who nonstop talk about the movies that they watch. They giggle about the flings and affairs that they're having. They brag to her about their drunken escapades on the weekends. And they press this young Christian lady to join them. At first, she resists. All they do is ridicule her. She begins to covet their acceptance. And she finds herself willing to do anything so that they will befriend her. She thinks, I'll just lose a little ground. Before she knows it, she has fallen off a cliff. I'm saying to you, in a church... When you find that there are people who long for this church not to be so much Bible and so much prayer and so much God and so much soul winning and so much dedication because they, ama- they dream of it loosening up and being a little more welcome to the world. You've got to creep. I give you a second thing. Say, Pastor, we're not getting very fast, very far. Well, we're getting to the verse. Jude, verse 8. He said, the first thing, they'll be filthy dreamers. And if you let them have their way, they will not only defile their flesh and your flesh, they'll defile the whole church. Look at the second description. Despise dominion. That second D is despise. So the question, next question, you've written down what they dream about. Second question is who they despise. Do you know to despise, it means to condemn. To despise means to hate. It means to disdain. It means to have extreme malice for. To despise is the lowest opinion of someone or something. To despise is to be extremely irritated by Okay, so it says they despise. They hate something. Or they hate someone. What do they despise? Well, look at the verse, verse 8. It says despise dominion. That word dominion. It speaks of someone in authority. That word dominion is one who governs and one who controls. Now, you and I know that the ultimate dominion is the Lord Jesus Christ. The ultimate control in our lives ought to be Jesus and his word. But on this earth, the one in the place of dominion, God has put some people in leadership positions. So in a home, it's the head of the home, it's the man of the home. That's the dominion in the home. In a church, it's, it's a pastor and it's other leaders in that church. Uh, in a country, it's the prime minister and it's the premiers and it's the mayors. Uh, I, I'm saying, you had a job, it's the boss. Do you know the second characteristic of, uh, of a creep in a church? They despise dominion. They despise anybody that's in a position of authority anyone that would dare tell them we're not going that way, we're, we're, we're not doing that thing, we're not going to be a part of that, when you find somebody that despises somebody that's in authority, be it the home, be it the church, be it the country, be it the works. You say, well, preacher, my, my job isn't the very... Listen, as long as that employer has hired you, He deserves the respect that he has. He deserves some respect. And you say, I despise him. That characteristic is going to destroy you. It's going to wreck you. The second way characteristic of a creep in a church, they just despise authority. They despise it. Do you know that, uh, if you haven't written it down, the second characteristic is who do they despise? Do you know the second identifier of a creeper in a church is who they despise? It's their attitude toward leadership. And they'll not submit to this place of Scripture. They'll not submit to those that preach and teach the Scripture. And their hate for any control over their lives Drives them in opposition. You know, creeps in a church will view anyone in a position of authority as the enemy. Now, follow this. I'm sorry, I'm the pastor. So I'm going to have a couple illustrations. You're going to think, well, he's just blowing his trumpet. You can preach this and you can use the same illustration. Do you know what? First, the objection will be to a decision that the pastor makes. But you know, before long, their objection will be to every decision that the pastor makes. Because it's really not the decisions. That's not really their issue. Their issue is the principle of having to have a pastor in their life. So they're throwing off authority. They don't want authority. And you could say, well, What's your problem with that? They don't have a problem with that. They have a problem with him. They have a problem with anybody in their life that's going to tell them no. And anybody in their life that's going to tell them yes. Anybody in their life that's going to tell them you can't or you must. Their objection is the very notion of a pastor. You know, such persons won't abide long in that church. What they'll do is they'll hop over to another church. And you know, at first, here's what they'll say. Man, I'm sure glad we're not under that pastor because this pastor's great. Do you know what they used to say? That that pastor was great. But because he started to say, we're not going that way. Well, they headed down the road. You know what they're saying now? Man, this pastor's great. Do you know what they will be saying in short order? Boy, he's terrible. He's terrible. We've been here, folks, 33 years. Uh, This record has gone around more than once. Many years ago, hope you don't know what I'm talking about. Many years ago, there was a particular gentleman with his family in our church. And uh, he began to take pot shots at some things that were decided. Until finally, he just plain took pot shot at the pastor of the church. Until the day he, as they walked out, the day he told me, you are the trouble that our family is having. I said, preacher, what do you do with that? You just kind of smile because you've heard it before and you'll hear it again. You know, that family headed down the road to another church, and they began to tell everybody we finally found a Bible church. <laughs> Would you leave? Well, that wasn't really a Bible church. It wasn't long before they were doing the same thing there. They headed down the road to another church. This is a true story. They headed down the road to another church. And they said, "Man, this is the greatest pastor there is." until it wasn't long before they took issue with this decision and that decision. And finally, there was a business meeting in that church where this man stood up and was the mouthpiece complaining against that pastor. Folks, it's a characteristic of a creep in a church. They have a problem with authority, and that's why they despise dominion. I had reason to uh, talk to Brother Farley. Brother Farley's preached here. I appreciate Brother Farley. And uh, Brother Farley said, Brother Carlson, you know, some years back, I think when he said it, it was nine years back, he said, nine years back, there was a church that was having troubles. Uh, Churches have troubles? (laughs) He said, I was asked to go to that church to help them through this trouble. And so he said, I went. And he said, that pastor stood up before his church, and he said, we're so glad to have Brother Farley here. Brother Farley has agreed to stay till all the trouble is gone. (laughs) You know how that sat with the troublemakers, the creeps. Some came up to him and said, how long are you going to stay? He said, six days, six weeks, six months, if need be, six years. And so the pastor, the host pastor, which everybody was, you know, some were saying, he's the trouble, he is the trouble. That pastor stood up and said, now, Brother is staying in such and such a hotel, and if you would like to talk to him about your issues, I have complete confidence in what he says. Only one man came to that hotel to talk to him. He brought a satchel, and in his satchel was all of his complaints against his pastor. He had accumulated photocopies, he had put together little bits and pieces of messages that this pastor had said. And so he sits down with Brother Farley in the lobby and he introduces, he tells his name, but Brother Farley, for whatever reason, can't remember his name. So he calls him Mr. Ringleader. (laughs) He said, Mr. Ringleader, now, what do you have to say? He said, well, my name's not Ringleader. My name is, and he gives his name, and he said, okay, Mr. Ringleader. He said, what do you have to say? And he opens up his satchel, and he said, I want you to look at this, and I want you to look at this, and I want you to look at this. Brother Farley said, I'm not looking at any of it. And he said, well, I thought that we could sit down and talk to you. He said, Mr. Ringleader. He said, my name's not Ringleader. He said, yeah, it is, because you're the only one that is scheduled to meet with me. And he said, can I ask you a question? And Mr. Ringleader said, sure. He said, how many churches have you been a part of that have ended up with a church split that you were in? And the man almost fixed his tie before he said seven. I'm saying to you, when you find somebody that despises authority, it's not just ad decision. They have a problem with authority. Incidentally, that example I gave about someone who was here, went to next church, went to next church. I think it was about three years that passed, and I bumped into this man. And I said, how are you doing? And he looked at me. I said, how's your family doing? He said, absolutely horrible. I said, now, how could that be? You told me that I was all your problem. I haven't been in any life for three years. You should be the happiest family on this earth. Folks, it's not me. It's an attitude that no one can tell me what to do. And it's a despising of anybody that's in authority. And they'll say, if, we, if this church just had another pastor... they'd have issue with another pastor. Because the characteristic is despising dominion. I give you the third thing. There's only three. We're on the last one. This might take a couple pages to cover it. But look there uh, verse 8, Jude verse 8. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh. So what do they dream about? Secondly, despise dominion. Who do they despise? Listen, are they despising the punk rockers that are wrecking our generation? Are they despising the pornography companies that are making billions while destroying the minds of people? Are, are they despising these terrorists who are terrorizing cities and countries if they were despising that crowd of wicked people we might be able to stand back and say well good on them they're not despising wickedness they're despising authority that's trying to uphold righteousness so that was the second one third one third one and speak evil of dignities now you know what I have to be honest, before this week studying this thing, I really couldn't see much of a difference between despised dominion and speak evil of dignities. Because it seems that dominion and a dignitary is somebody that's recognized as being a leader by their experience, by their ability. But there is a difference between despised dominions. And speak evil of dignities. Pastor, what is that? When they despise dominions, that's, that, that can be contained in your heart. Uh, folks, you can look at somebody and say, well, that's a great Christian. I, you don't know what's in their heart, just like you don't know what's in my heart. There are people that in their heart have a hatred, but they're smart enough to keep it in their heart. You know what happens in the third step is they speak evil of dignities. Now it's no longer contained in their heart. Now it's coming out of their mouth. When you find a young person that has come to the place where they are openly speaking evil of their parents, we're now Quite a bit down the pathway of trouble. When you find somebody in a church that no longer is guarding their hatred about somebody in authority, but now they are openly speaking about the hatred that they have for authority, boy, that's the third step. You might not have caught them at the second step because that can be hidden in the heart. By the time they're open about it, by the time that they mince no words and talk about it, I'm saying that the third characteristic is uh, what they say about dignities. The Bible says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the earth. What is it that you say about your parents? What comes out of your mouth about your parents? Let's put it on a church. What is it that you say about your pastor, about your youth director, about the Sundays? What what is it that you say about those that are in authority? Here it says they speak evil. I'm saying when you find somebody in a church, Jude says, when you find somebody in a church, their dream for their church is nothing like God's plan for a church. That's the first step. In their heart is just a hatred for anyone in authority. That's the second step. But he said, third, when they have now reached beyond a guarded hatred and they're just open, I hate that guy. I hate that woman. I despise them. That's now the third step. When somebody has come to that place, you know what? They're a creep. They're going to destroy what you've got. And so third thing, third question is what they say about dignities. you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to find fault with people, especially people that are out front and transparent. But creeps don't need a reason. They don't even need a clear error. They don't need proof of a fault. They just find fault and think it's virtuous to point such things out. There's a long list of things that we're to honor. In the Bible, we're to honor God. We're to honor Jesus. We're to honor the aged. We're to honor other Christians, honor widows. Wives are to honor their husbands. Leaders in churches are to be honored. Parents are to be honored. We're to honor the king. Beware of somebody when they no longer think anyone is worthy of honor but themselves. And that is the third step that we find. And there's no shortage of examples. I, we do not turn it for the sake of time. I'm trying to stop. But Absalom. Absalom was the son of David. So David was the king. Absalom didn't particularly care for his dad being the king. Bible says, Second Samuel 15, that Absalom began to speak to people these words. He's already now at step three. See thy matters," he's saying to these individual Jews. Uh, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. He's already backslapping his dad, the king. My, my dad hasn't appointed anyone reliable to take care of this kind of thing. Absalom said, "Moreover, all oh, that I were a judge in the land, that every man which hath any suitor cause might come unto me." And I would do him justice. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Mark it down. Creeps will always tell you that they could run things better. Korah. Korah walked up to Moses and said, you take too much upon you. Seeing all the congregation are holy. Mark it down. Creeps will always tell you that they are so much holier. He said, seeing all the congregation are holy. No, they're not. Creeps will always tell you that they're so much holier than the one that God has placed in charge. I'm done with this thought. Look there in number 16. You let go of Jude. Number 16. We're trying to look tonight. As a preacher, Jude is warning about those that would creep into a church to change it. But if they're not going to wear a badge that says, I'm a creep, they're not going to announce publicly I've come to change. How will we know them? First of all, find what they dream about. What's their dream? What's their dream for church? What's their dream for home? What's their dream for life? Is it more God or less God? More Bible or less Bible? More holiness or less holiness? Second question, question, who do they despise? Do they despise the ones that are trying to get you closer to God? Or do they despise those that are pulling you away from God? Last thing, what do they say about dignities? Mark, number 16. Look there are number 16, verse 1. Now Korah so that's the first man, the son of Esar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram. So the three ring- uh, ringleaders of the trouble, number 16, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Verse number three, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and Aaron, straight against Aaron, and said unto them, You take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then, lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. And when Moses heard it, he fell in and said, Moses didn't want that job. (laughs) He certainly didn't want that job after this many years. And they said, you you did, you picked it, you pushed it. No, he didn't. God told him that was God's call. And you know, as that chapter progresses, Moses is trying to help These creeps who are trying to turn Israel away from God. Kor is not listening. Kor is the ringleader of this trouble and he's not listening to anything that's said. But you know, look there in verse 12. And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram. So that was number two. Number three, the sons of Eliab, which said, we will not come up. You know what, Moses? If you're a leader, you know that you're not batting a thousand. Uh, We're praying for a preacher down in Florida right now who his arteries are not blocked and But he has worn himself down in 40 years of ministry. I said, you know what I'm talking about. You know, he sent me a little email after the long email. And he said, 40 years of trying to make marriages in our church work. And in spite of all my efforts, some of them haven't worked. Forty years of trying to direct young people who are raised in a good home and a good church, and in spite of all of that help and prayer, he said they're not he said forty years of that has worn me down. Do you know that's where Moses was? Moses knew he hadn't batted a thousand. But Moses knew nobody else in that same spot would have batted a thousand either. So when he approached Korah and said, Come on, Korah, God's already put you in a in a position of a Levite. Aren't you thank? Scram. <laughs> so what does Moses do? He tries to help number two and number three. Look there again, verse 12. And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. Which said, "We will not come up." <laughs> All he's trying to do is help them. And you know, you can be the best Sunday school, the teacher, the best preacher, the best evangelist, and you won't bat a thousand either. But something in your heart just wants to try one more time. He couldn't help Korah because Korah didn't want help. He couldn't help Dathan and Abiram because they didn't want help. And so you know what? He finally goes to the nation of Israel and he says, these three men, they have their own agenda for this nation. It's not God's. You need to back away from these three men and their families. And you know what? The nation of Israel, bless their heart, they listened. You know, Numbers 16, the nation of Israel backed away. If you're there in Numbers 16, verse 31, and it came to pass as he, Moses, had made an end of speaking all these words that the ground clave asunder that was under them and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods, they and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them and they perished from among the congregation. I'm sure that Israel at that point was sure glad that they took Moses' advice to back away from the creeps in their nation that were trying to change that nation. I've said this the last four weeks. When you find somebody in this church that has come to the place where their despising authority is no longer kept inside, but now they're openly speaking it, They're openly texting it. They're openly Facebooking it. They're openly, whatever other social media is out there, as soon as they're openly doing that, they have now reached the third stage of a creep. It's time to back away. If somebody says to you, you know what, there's too much preaching, it's time to back away from that person. Pastor, I'm just trying to be your, their friend. You are going to destroy. Listen, if the people had stuck right close to Koradath and Ira, they would have gone down into that hole with them. When you detect that somebody now is openly speaking evil of dignities, it's time to back away. It's time to cut it off. It's time to say no more. It's time to say, you know, I'm thankful for God. I'm thankful for salvation. I'm thankful for my church. I'm thankful for my pastor, though he doesn't bat a thousand. I'm thankful for my youth director, he doesn't bat a thousand. I'm thankful for my Sunday school teachers, they don't bat a thousand. The people that listened to Moses' advice, they were still around the next chapter. They were still around two, three, four, five, six chapters. The people that didn't became casualties to. I say the same thing to you. If there are people that are now openly criticizing authority, it's time to back away. It's time to cut it off. It's time to block it. It's time to dismember yourself from that little circle lest you be a casualty too. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we have looked at a very solemn verse. Lord, uh, Jude, after taking three verses to tell us the agenda of a creep, then gives us the characteristics of a creep. Lord, they have dreams for what they'd like to see happen that are far removed from God. In their heart, they despise anybody in authority. And they're going to finally come to the place where they will openly speak evil of dignities. And Jude said, when it happens, stand up against it in order to salvage the church that God's given you. Lord, would you help us?